Lesson number 46, Surah Ali Imran, ayah number 78 to 91. وَإِنَّ مِنْهُمْ لَفَرِيقًا And indeed there is among them a group. Among who? Among the Bani Israel. Among the Ahlul Kitab, the people of the book. And Fariq is from Faraqa, which is to separate. And it refers to a certain group that is separate, meaning it is distinguishable from the rest of the crowd. So there is a group of the people of the book, of the Jews and the Christians. What do they do? يَلْوُونَ أَلْسِنَتَهُمْ بِالْكِتَابِ They bend, they twist their tongues when reading the book. Meaning they do not read the book correctly. They do not read the book in the way that it should be read. Instead, they twist their tongues in its recitation. The word yalwuna is from the root letters lam wa ya. Lawa yalwi is to bend, to flex, to twist. What? The neck or the tongue. The word is used for bending, for twisting, the neck or the tongue. The neck, for example, it is said, لَا يَلْوِي عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ He does not turn to anyone. Meaning he does not look at anyone. Because in order to look at someone, do you have to bend your neck a little? Yes, you do. Either sideways or you know up or down. You have to turn, bend your neck in one way or the other in order to look at someone. Likewise, this word is also used for the bending of the tongue. What does it mean? It means to mispronounce words, to not read correctly. So for example, if a person has to say ta, instead of saying ta, he flexes his tongue so that the tongue touches another makhraj. So for example, sa, instead of saying ta, sa. Do you have to move your tongue in order to bring about a different makhraj? Yes, you do. When you have to say jim, your tongue has to be at a certain place, as opposed to when you say dal. So, yalwuna al-sinatahum, they twist their tongues, and the word al-sina is the plural of the word lisan. What does lisan mean? Tongue. But the word lisan in the Arabic language is also used for language. It's not just used for the tongue, it's also used for language. And what is language? The words that you speak. So, yalwuna al-sinatahum means two things. One is that they literally twist their tongues. And the second meaning is that they twist their words. Meaning, they twist the words of the book. So, in other words, this is referring to lay al-lafzi and lay al-ma'nawi. The first kind of lay is to twist the actual words of the book. Okay, the twist the actual words of the book, which means that the pronunciation is not correct. The way the book has to be read, they don't read it in that manner. You know, one is that a person struggles to recite the book correctly. He is striving to improve his tajweed. Alright, that is a different case. And likewise, a person is striving to read the book correctly, but he ends up making a mistake. It was unintentional. That is also different. This is deliberately reading wrong. Reading the actual words incorrectly. And this means there is tahrif, so changing the words. This could also include ziyada, addition. So for example, an alif is not there, but a person reads it as alif. Okay? Meaning he elongates the vowel sounds. For instance, 
Does that change the meaning? Yes. We know that for example, when you put an alif, sometimes it gives a meaning of dual, of two. Doesn't it? Likewise, if you pronounce the harakat incorrectly, if a letter has a dhamma on it, it's supposed to be read as bu, but you read it as ba. For example, the word Allah, if you read it as Allah, as opposed to Allahu, will that change the meaning? Yes, it will. It will actually change the meaning. Alright? So the first is lay al-lafzi, which is to twist the actual words, to pronounce them incorrectly, and this includes tahrif, alteration, this includes ziyada, adding words, this includes skipping words, skipping letters, so that the words are altered. And when the words will be altered, will their meaning be affected? Of course their meaning will be affected. So for example, hittah, they changed it to hintah. Do you have to bend your tongue to pronounce hintah, to say hintah? Yes, you do. Likewise, assam, as opposed to assalam. Likewise, ra'ina, as opposed to ra'ina. So they would change the words. And they didn't just treat the book in this manner, but also in the way that they spoke to the Prophet ﷺ. So, first of all is lay al-lafzi. And the second type is lay al-ma'nawi. And what is that? That the words of the book that they are reading, they don't read them in the correct manner, meaning they misinterpret them. They don't read, they don't study the book, they don't understand the book as it should be understood. Now this is not by mistake, but rather it is deliberate. It is intentional. يَلْوُونَ أَلْسِنَتَهُمْ kitab. They interpret the book in a way that Allah did not intend. So they change the intended meaning. Why? To suit their own desires. So a group of them, not all of them, this is the way they read the book of Allah. They mispronounce the words and they also misinterpret the meaning of those words. يَلْوُونَ أَلْسِنَتَهُمْ kitab. And there's another kind of lay as well, which is that a person reads something the way the book has to be read. That a person recites something the way the book is recited. Because when a person is reading an ordinary text, the way Qur'an is to be recited, then what will happen? What will happen? people will be confused. They will think it is Qur'an. Is it actually Qur'an? No, it's not Qur'an. So the people of the book would also do that. They would insert passages, sentences, words, which were their own into the book of Allah to show that it was the book of Allah, whereas it was not actually the book of Allah. This is the reason why whenever there is a translation of the Qur'an, okay, first of all they say it's not translation of the Qur'an. It's only translation of the meaning of the Qur'an. Because you can never translate the Qur'an. You can only translate the meaning. Okay? But you will notice that there are so many brackets. Aren't there? In the translation that you see before you in your own juz. Don't you see so many brackets? Right? Why? To show that this is not actually in the text. But if those brackets are removed then what will a person think who does not know the Arabic Qur'an? He will think it is written in the Qur'an. In the recitation, they would read the book in such a way, rather they would read their own words in such a way that people would misunderstand. لِتَحْسَبُوهُ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ So that you all would think it to be of the book. 
you would think that what they are saying is actually part of the book. وَمَا هُوَ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ Whereas it is not part of the book. In reality, it is not part of the scripture. وَيَقُولُونَ And they say, هُوَ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ It is from Allah. They say Allah has revealed it. They say Allah has said this. Look, it's in the book. Whereas is it from Allah? Not at all. Allah says, وَيَقُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ And they say against Allah a lie. Meaning by fabricating, by inventing such things, by twisting the words, by misinterpreting the meaning, what are they doing? They're lying against who? Against Allah Azza wa Jal. And وَيَقُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ Meaning besides this alteration of the book, Otherwise as well, it is their habit. The habit of who? Of the Ahlul Kitab. That they lie about Allah. How do they lie about Allah? Such as the description that they give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For instance, they said about Allah, that na'udhu billah he is faqeer, he is poor, and we are rich. Or na'udhu billah yadullahi maghlula, that the hand of Allah is tied up. In other words, he is very stingy, and he does not give us he does not spend on us na'udhu billah describing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that does not befit him giving such description that does not befit his majesty so for example ascribing a child to allah that he has a child or that na'udhu billah if that child was god he died on the cross this is ascribing something to allah that you don't have knowledge about wa yaquluna 'ala allah al-kadhib Likewise saying that Allah got tired after He created the heavens and the earth. Or that Allah is a jealous God. I mean, all of these attributes, do they befit Allah? They do not. They do not befit Him. So, وَيَقُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ They ascribe lies to Allah. They say lies about Allah. وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ While they know. They know what they're saying. They know about their lies. Yet they say them anyway. And this is much worse. You know, like I mentioned earlier, one is that a person makes these mistakes by accident, unintentionally. That we hope Allah will forgive. But when a person knowingly, deliberately does this, then this is much worse. This is worse in sin. Ibn Abbas, he said that this verse was revealed about the Jews and the Christians because they had changed the Torah and the Injil. This is how they changed the books that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to them. And they had made additions in the book that were not originally part of the book. They had made such additions in the book that were not originally part of the book. The question is, why would they do this? Why would they mispronounce the words? Why would they misinterpret the text? Why would they add something to the book which was not part of the book? Why would a person do that? What do you think the reason is? You know, altering anyone else's text, anyone else's piece of writing. This is something that is a crime these days. I mean, a person can be held responsible, a person can be punished for such a thing. So how can a person have the guts to do this with the kalam of Allah? Why would he do that? What's the reason? For some worldly benefit, okay. To deceive people, to mislead people. So that the people do not see the truth, they do not accept it, they are misled. So in order to mislead people from the truth, we have learned earlier that the Bani Israel, they were addressed, لِمَ تَلْبِسُونَ الْحَقَّ بِالْبَاطُلِ Why do you mix the truth with the falsehood? So the haqq was what Allah had revealed, and what was batil? The words that they put in. 
So the basically edits that made to the book of Allah, that's batil. So they confused it up. They mixed it up to mislead people. And why would they want people to be misled? So that the Bani Israel, their leaders, their scholars, they would earn some worldly benefit, whether it was their leadership or it was some gain or it was to reject a messenger whom they did not want to believe in, whatever benefit they would gain. Likewise, they would do this in order to portray such a deen in front of people which was not the true deen. Because they wanted people to be happy with their deen. It is said that many changes were brought into the religion that Isa salam brought. Why? Just so that people would accept Christianity. Just so that people would accept Christianity. If there were people who were not willing to give up certain actions, then they would say, it's okay, it's permissible. As long as you believe, whatever you do doesn't matter. And if you think about it, just yesterday, somebody was watching television, so I passed by and I saw that there was a graveyard, I don't know where, but um, of famous people in history, okay, where their graves were. And their names were inscribed and huge, you know, mausoleums and monuments were on their graves. And on top of a grave, there was a cross with Naudu Bilal Isa on it. And it didn't give the feeling of Tawheed. You know, it seemed as though this was shirk. It looked like the practice of the people who worship idols. Because they have idols, alright? And those who believe in Allah don't make images of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the whole scene looked so far away from the truth. And if you think about it, the people of that time, the Romans, they were not believers in Allah. What kind of faith did they practice? Of shirk. They were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. right? They believed in many gods, children and wives and so on and so forth, and wars. Allahu alam what all. And if you think about it, the belief that the Christians came up with of God having a son and that son dying, I mean, it seems very similar to the beliefs of the mushrikeen. Very similar. So they made these changes. Why? Just so that the religion was more acceptable to people. This is just like somebody saying, yeah, yeah, you don't have to wear hijab. Just be a good person. Be a good Muslim. And it's fine. You don't have to pray. It's okay. No problem. As long as you're a good person, you believe in Allah, you know, you say your faith is in your heart, you're fine. So people try to make such changes to the deen. Why? Just to make it more acceptable. Whether those changes are in practices or those changes are in aqidah, in faith. So this is one of the reasons why they made these changes. Also they made these changes so that they would gain worldly benefit. They would not lose their honor, their high status in front of people. For example, we see that once a woman committed theft at the time of the Prophet right? Her name was Fatima. And her case was brought to the Prophet and she was to be punished because she was proven guilty. She was to be punished. And the people said that, oh, please let her go because she is you know, of a very noble family. So let her go. And the Prophet said that, no, even if it was my daughter, I would have the punishment executed. Because if someone is guilty, then they have to be punished regardless of what their worldly status is. But we see that among the Yahud, there was once a man and a woman who committed zina. And in their law, the punishment was such that, I don't remember the exact punishment, whether it was rajim, stoning to death, or it was made to sit on a donkey and their faces blackened and made to go around the whole town, so insulted before people. So they wanted the punishment be lightened. Why? 
because those two individuals were of a very noble family. They didn't want that the punishment be executed on them. So they did not judge according to their own law. Instead they came to the Prophet ﷺ, hoping that he would give a different punishment. The punishment was of rajm. Okay? So hoping that the Prophet ﷺ would give a different punishment. But when they came to him, he said rajm. Okay? So then they had one of their scholars okay, come in. The Prophet ﷺ asked that, who is the most knowledgeable of you? And they said, Ibn Surya. This was the man who was the most knowledgeable, one of the greatest scholars you can say. And he was made to open the Torah and read where the punishment was mentioned. And while he was reading, he put his hand on some of the words and he skipped that part and he moved on. And Abdullah ibn Salam, he was there and he said, move your hand and read that. So they did this, they changed the words of the book, they would not pronounce them, they would pronounce them incorrectly. Why? In order to suit their own desires. So that their honor, their you know, glory would not be affected. وَيَقُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ And while doing this, they ascribe lies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Surah An-Nisa, Ayah 46, this is mentioned, that مِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَرِمَ عَمَّ وَاضِعِهِ They change the words from their proper places. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 13, also this is mentioned, يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَرِمَ عَمَّ وَاضِعِهِ So they would do this. And we see that as for the Qur'an, the final book, the final scripture, can the words be changed? Can the words be altered? No. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself has taken responsibility to preserve the Qur'an. He himself has taken the responsibility. In Surah Al-Hijr, Ayah 9, we learn, إِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا الذِّكْرَ وَإِنَّا لَهُ لَحَافِظُونَ Allah has revealed the dhikr and He will preserve it. لَا يَأْتِيهِ الْبَاطِلِ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَلَا مِنْ خَلْفِهِ Baatil, no falsehood can enter from front or from behind. Meaning, nowhere at the beginning or the end, nowhere can any additions be made into the Qur'an. But, we see that people have made many attempts. And they continue to make attempts, whether it is to change the actual words. So for example, there are some people who don't believe that Allah can speak. Okay? They say that no, Allah does not speak. Na'udhu Billah. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says, Qala, right? Yaqulu, right? So in the Quran there is a verse Wakallama Allahu Musa Taklima that Allah spoke to Musa. But they read that as وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهَ مُوسَى They change the Allahu to Allaha. Where the meaning changes. That Allah spoke to becomes Allah was spoken to. That the original text is Allah spoke to Musa. But they say Allah was spoken to by Musa. So we see that people do attempt. They try. The actual words even they want to change. When it comes to the meaning, do people try to misinterpret the meaning of the Qur'an? All the time. All the time, left, right, center. All the time people are attempting to change the meaning of the Qur'an. But are they successful? No. Why? Because the original text and the correct meaning, both are preserved. Both are preserved. Where there are people trying to alter the Qur'an, there are also other people who are striving to preserve the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises people in every era who strive in order to preserve the Qur'an. Look at the example of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal. What great 
persecution he suffered. What persecution he suffered? He was jailed. He was beaten up. He was beaten up. Physically abused. Almost killed. But he did not give up. Imam Malik, he was beaten up. To the point that he could not lift his arms up. You know that? He could not lift his arms up in prayer. There were scholars like Ibn Qayyim, Ibn Taymiyyah who were imprisoned several times in their lives. And you know in what? Not in prison cells. In dried wells. Where they would sleep and eat and live. And somebody would just come and throw food on them from top. This is how they spent years and years of their lives. And if they agreed with the incorrect meaning of the Qur'an, with the incorrect interpretation, they would enjoy this world. The people of authority of that time who were persecuting them would be very happy with them. But they did not accept any of that. Rather, they were persecuted. Why? Because they remained firm upon the truth. So this is part of the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Part of the fulfillment of His promise to preserve the book. That no matter how much people attempt, Allah still preserves the book. Through who? Through the ulama. So what do we learn in this ayah? That people have attempted, will continue to attempt to alter the words that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. And this is a huge crime. Likewise, we see that there are some people who may be apparently very knowledgeable of the book. They are quoting verses, they are quoting history, they are quoting a hadith, and you get very impressed. They are very vocal, very, very expressive. They will say whatever they believe in, but at the same time, they misinterpret the book of Allah. And when they misinterpret the book of Allah, do not be deceived by them. Do not think that, oh, but they have studied the Qur'an, but they have read the Qur'an, but they have such and such degree, but they have written such and such book, but they have written such and such paper about the Qur'an, so they should know, they must know. No. There are people who try to translate the Qur'an, but are those translations correct? Far, far from correctness. There are people who claim to be authorities on Islam, but are they really? Far, far from that. Why? Because they misinterpret the text. And they challenge the correct meaning, the correct understanding that has been there for centuries. They challenge that. They refuse to accept it. So do not be deceived by them. Just because someone has a degree doesn't mean that they know everything. Just because someone is saying that they are right does not mean they are right. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is warning us he is warning us that we should be careful, we should become very cautious before such people. And especially if there is someone who claims that they believe in the book, yet their attitude with the book is so disrespectful, then how can you accept what they are saying? If they are insulting the Qur'an, if they are insulting the people of the Qur'an, if they don't give any importance to the laws of Islam, then how can you say what they are saying is right about the book of Allah? It cannot be right when their actions contradict the teachings of the book, then you cannot accept their authority. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is warning us and we should open up our eyes and be careful about what we hear and what we accept. And this cannot be done unless and until you know the meaning of the book yourself. Isn't that so? You have to learn first. 
You know, people get very confused. They say, oh, so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that. What are we supposed to do? You know what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you an intellect. MashaAllah, you are capable. You are someone who has understanding. If you can go through high school, if you can go through university, then you can also understand the text of this book. And it's an obligation on you, I believe, today. An obligation on every Muslim to know the meaning of the book of Allah. I'm not saying you should have a degree in tafsir, but you should know the meaning of the book of Allah. Because people mislead others through misinterpretation of the book of Allah. A lot of confusion is created, a lot of wrong things are spread amongst people. How? Because they don't know themselves. So learn first, study first. Then we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا كَانَ لِبَشَرٍ It is not possible for a human being. أَنْ يُؤْتِيَهُ اللَّهُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحُكْمَةِ وَالنُّبُوَّةِ That Allah gives to him the book, the judgment, the authority, and the prophethood. ثُمَّ يَقُولَ لِلنَّاسِ كُونُوا عِبَادًا لِي مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ And then he says to people, Be my servants, meaning worship me. It is not possible that a prophet of Allah would make such a claim. This verse was revealed in the context of the dedication of Najran that had come to visit the Prophet ﷺ and the Jews of Medina who had also come to the same gathering. And the delegation of Najran, the Jews of Medina, they started asking the Prophet ﷺ several questions about Islam, about the beliefs and practices. One of the questions that those people asked the Prophet ﷺ was that, O Muhammad, do you wish that we worship you as the Christians worship Isa ﷺ? Is that what you want? Meaning, is this part of Islam that you are supposed to be worshipped like the Christians worship Isa a.s.? Is that what you want from us? The Prophet ﷺ said, Ma'ad Allah. I seek refuge with Allah that I should command to worship other than Allah. Allah did not send me for that. Nor did He command me with this. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that ma kana li basharin. It is not possible. It is not allowed for any human being. The word ma kana is used to show the impossibility of something. That it is impossible that such a thing could ever happen. مَا كَانَ And this is in two ways, شَرْعًا and قَدْرًا. شَرْعًا meaning in the law of Allah, this is not permissible. It is not allowed. So any human being, no matter who he is, no matter what level he reaches, it is not allowed for him in the law of Allah that he should make such a demand from people. And secondly, Qadran. Meaning, this can never occur even. It is impossible. So, no messenger is allowed to, nor is it ever possible that a messenger would make such a claim. It is neither right, nor is it rationally conceivable. It is not appropriate, nor does it befit. Who? Libasharin. For any human being. And Bashar is who? Human being. From the children of Adam, right? From Banu Adam. And human beings are called Bashar, why? Because of the Bashara, right? Because of the human skin that is visible. Because human skin is different from the skin of other animals. If you see the other creatures, their skins are covered by either hair or fur or wool or whatever. But human skin is exposed. So this is why the human being is called Bashar, because his Bashara is exposed, it is naked. And there is hikmah behind this. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make human beings in this way? Because human beings, they realize that they need 
clothes, right? To cover themselves, to adorn themselves. You need libas, that is hissi. Physical libas, physical clothing. And from this, the human being should also infer, should also understand that he needs libas ma'nawi. He needs another kind of libas as well. And what is that? Libasut taqwa, that inshallah we will learn about. Libasut taqwa, that human beings need to adorn themselves with righteousness. That where you adopt means to cover yourself physically, to adorn yourself physically, you also need to do something to adorn yourself spiritually. To dress yourself up spiritually. And another reason why human beings are called bashar is because a person is experiencing whatever emotions, feelings he's experiencing, it gets displayed on his face. Right? So when he's given bashara, when he's given good news, it is visible on him. If a cat is smiling, can you tell? Can you? You can only guess that the cat is happy. You can smile, but a cat cannot. The happiness that you experience is visible on your face. But other animals, no way. A bird, how can a bird smile? No, it can't. Its beak is fixed. doesn't have lips like we have. So this is why human beings are called Bashar. So makanali basharin, it is not possible, it doesn't befit, nor is it appropriate, it cannot be imagined even that a human being and yu'tiyahullahu al-kitaba that Allah gives to him the book. Which book is this? The scripture, revealed scripture. Wal hukma and sound judgment. Hukum, hakaf meem, over here it refers to judgment according to divine law. Meaning authority. That Allah gives him authority to judge according to divine law. Like the Prophet ﷺ was told, فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ Judge between people according to what Allah has revealed. So Allah gives him the scripture, Allah gives him authority, and Allah gives him وَالنُّبُوَّةِ and prophethood. Meaning, the responsibility to convey. So in other words, he is a prophet of Allah. And this person to whom Allah gives these three things to, it is not possible that when he's given these three things, ثُمَّ then يَقُولَ لِلنَّاسِ He says to the people, كُونُوا عِبَادًا لِي Be my servants. Ibad is a plural of abd, meaning abid, one who worships. That he tells the people, worship me. This is impossible. It can never ever happen. It doesn't befit a messenger. These two things cannot be combined in a prophet. What two things? These two things cannot be combined in a human being. What? Prophethood and calling people to his own worship. They don't go together. Someone who has been given prophethood by Allah can never ever demand from people that they should worship him. It is impossible. Why? Because it goes against the mission of the prophet. Every prophet who came, who was sent by Allah, what was his mission? To call people to who? To the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nuh alayhi salam, Shu'ayb alayhi salam, Hud alayhi salam, Lut alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, you name it, any prophet, he called people to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He came to take people out of shirk to tawheed. And if that prophet says, oh people worship me, then this defeats his mission. It contradicts his purpose. 
It doesn't make any sense. Allah says in Surah An-Nahl, Ayah 36, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةِ الرَّسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهِ That worship Allah, وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ And stay away from Taghut, from all false gods. In Surah Al-Anbiya 25, Allah says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ Every messenger was given this message, that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah. So the prophets of Allah, they came to call people to Tawheed. So this is why a prophet of Allah could never demand from people that that be my worshippers, worship me instead of Allah. Not possible. And worship me, how? In what sense? Whether it is by doing sajda, or it is by praying, or it is by Rukur, or it is by sacrificing for the sake of the messenger, or it is by obeying the messenger in disobedience to Allah. No, it can never happen. A messenger would never allow this, he would never command this. It doesn't befit him. He would never say, Kunur ibadalli min dunillah. Now, min dunillah, we understand this as besides Allah. As if don't worship Allah, instead worship me. Now when it comes to worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are three kinds of worshippers. One type are those who worship Allah alone, meaning they don't worship anyone but Allah. Such a person is muwahid, mukhlis, one who believes in tawheed, who has an ikhlas, sincere worshipper. The second kind is the one who worships Allah, but along with worshipping Allah, he also worships others. Whether it is a human being or an angel or a prophet or what, he also worships others. What would you call such a person? Mushrik. He is doing shirk. And the ibadah, the worship of such a person, is that accepted or rejected? It is rejected. The third kind of worshipper, and I say worshipper, because everyone is the servant of Allah, whether they accept or not, is the one who does not worship Allah, instead worships something else. So you can say all mankind is one of these three kinds. Now a person might say, what about atheists? What category do they fall in? The third one, because they don't worship Allah. Instead they worship their nafs, their desires, right? their mind, their intellect, their understanding, or a person in history, whoever he may be, whatever it may be. So every person does worship something or the other. So the third one is who? The mustakbir, the arrogant one. And mushrik. He's also doing a kind of shirk. Now, min dunillah, min dunillah does not necessarily mean that a person does not worship Allah. He could also be of those who worships Allah and others along with Allah. Because the person might say that, look, I mean, if this ayah is indirectly referring to Christians, okay, then they worship Isa salam, but along with him they also worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So according to them, he didn't say people don't worship Allah, only worship me. So min dunillah does not necessarily imply that he was saying don't worship Allah. Why? How? Because someone who worships Allah and along with Allah, other than Allah, then this ibadah is rejected. It is as though a person does not worship Allah. Okay? 
Someone who does shirk, who worships Allah, but along with worshiping Allah, worships others, then it is as though he doesn't worship Allah. Why? Because his ibadah is rejected. It's as though it doesn't exist. So it's as though he didn't worship Allah. This is why min dunillah. In a hadith we learned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I am the one, one who does not stand in need of a partner. If anything in which he associates anyone else with me, I shall abandon him with the one whom he associates with Allah. Meaning his deeds are rejected. So it is not conceivable that a prophet of Allah would make such a demand from people. That, oh people, do shirk, worship me. No, it is impossible. Walakin but, meaning instead, the messenger to whom Allah gave kitab, hukum, nubuwa, what would he say to the people? Instead he would say, kunu rabbaniyin. Be devout servants, worshippers of Allah. Instead he would tell the people to be rabbaniyin. Now the word rabbaniyin, I cannot translate this. It's the plural of the word Rabbani. And Rabbani, grammatically if you look at this word, Rabban, the Alif Noon, Rabban, okay, the An. This gives meaning of Mubalagha. It is for hyperbole. It is for Mubalagha. To show the intensity of the meaning. To multiply the action. Okay. And secondly, Rabbani. The Ya at the end, this is for Nisbah. For relationship. Just as if somebody is from Pakistan, you say Pakistani. Okay? In the English language, what do you say? If somebody is from Canada, you would say Canadian. Right? So this ian at the end, this is what? For nisbah. Alright? So likewise in Arabic, you have ya at the end for nisbah. So this word rabbani, this is nisbah to who? To a rab. Okay? Rab. From Ra-ba-ba. Nisba to Rab. Secondly, this is Nisba to Tarbiyah. What does Tarbiyah mean? To train, to nurture, to educate, to instruct. Alright? Like for example, the mother does a Tarbiyah of her child. So, what does she do? Does she only feed the child? No, she also teaches the child how to eat, how to dress up, how to use the washroom, how to talk, how to behave. Now this is all what? Training, nurturing, educating, instructing. This is tarbiyah. So Rabbani is who? First of all, nisbah to Rabb. And secondly, nisbah to tarbiyah. So Rabbani is first of all, the one who is a servant to Ar-Rabb. The one who is a servant of who? Ar-Rabb. Who is Ar-Rabb? The one and only Lord, who is He? Who is He? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Rabbani is first of all the one who is a servant of Allah. The worshipper of Allah. But what kind of worshipper? I told you Rabban and this is from Mubalagha. So a devout worshipper, a sincere worshipper, a good worshipper. Someone who is known for his worship. Someone who worships Allah. His life is about worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every aspect throughout his life. Rabbani. And secondly, Rabbani is who? The one who does tarbiyah. So the one who does tarbiyah of who? The one who trains other people. 
The one who instructs and teaches people, nurtures them according to what? According to the law that the Lord has revealed. According to the guidance that Allah has sent down. So Rabbani, to conclude, is who? A servant of Allah, devout servant, righteous servant, who doesn't just practice the law of Allah, but he also teaches others the law of Allah. So he practices it, and he also educates others about it. And he doesn't just educate, but he trains people to become worshippers of Allah. So he's a worshipper himself, and he's on a mission to make others worshippers of Allah too. This is who Rabbani is. The one who is devoted fully to Al-Rabb. His life, everything is about Al-Rabb. إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ This is who Rabbani is. So Allah says that the Prophet of Allah, instead, what would he say to the people? That, O oh people, be Rabbaniyeen. You connect yourself to Allah. I'm just a link. I'm just here to tell you about Allah. I'm just here to deliver to you the message of Allah, the law of Allah. Now you have to practice it yourself and you have to convey it to others. This is who Rabbani is. وَلَكِنْ كُونُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ So the prophets, what was their mission? Their mission was to connect people to Allah. Their mission was to prepare such individuals who worship Allah and who lead others to the same path as well. And this is exactly what the prophets did. Look at the example of Muhammad ﷺ. The example of who? Muhammad ﷺ. Who did he train? What kind of people did he prepare? People who worshipped him? Never. He prepared people. He trained such people who worshipped Allah in the day and the night and whose mission was? What was their mission? To spread this message. To make, to free people from slavery to others. Okay? And make them slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. For example, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he was a companion of the Prophet When he passed away, someone said, الْيَوْمَ مَاتَ رَبَّانِيُّ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ Today, the Rabbani of this Ummah has passed away. So the Prophet ﷺ, he made who? He prepared Rabbaniyin. The mission of the Prophet is to connect people to Allah, not that the people should worship them. وَلَكِنْ كُونُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ And why would the Messenger tell the people to be Rabbaniyin? Why would he tell the people, you worship Allah and you also educate others to worship Allah? Why? What's the reason? بِمَا كُنْتُمْ Because you all تُعَلِّمُونَ الْكِتَابِ You teach the book. وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ And the second reason, because you تَدْرُسُونَ You all study it yourself. So when you teach the book, and when you study it yourself, which book is this? The scripture. Then you have to worship Allah. Then you have to connect others to Allah as well. You have to deliver the spirit of the deen. 
when you are the teacher of the book when you are the one who studies the book bima kuntum tu'allimun al-kitab wa bima kuntum tadrusun now tu'allimun is from ta'lim and ta'lim is to educate to teach who can teach someone who has learned so the first step to teaching is learning yourself receiving the book so the people they received the book they learned the book from the messengers and the messengers when they taught the book to the people they didn't just say okay keep the book to yourself no they said now tu'allimun al-kitab now you teach the book now you pass it on you have to pass this knowledge on but don't just pass on this knowledge as if it is mathematics but be passionate about it and your passion should be what that with this knowledge on gaining this knowledge you become the servant of ar-rabb you become the servant of allah bima kuntum tu'allimun al-kitab so when you're teaching the book you are not just passing on information you are actually training worshipers when you're teaching the book you're not filling the brains of people with just information and facts no you are filling the spirit of people with what with iman with taqwa so that they are driven to action because a true teacher is not just an instructor a true teacher is also a murabbi a trainer a trainer so the messengers came to prepare rabbaniyun who would also teach the book wa bima kuntum tadrusun and because you study it yourselves tadrusun is from dars and dars is to leave a mark so dars is such a study that has an impact on a person it is attentive study that has an impact on the individual so when you're studying the book when you're reading the book don't forget why you are reading don't forget why you are studying and at this time we all need to ask ourselves when we're studying what is the purpose what's the reason why are you studying the quran just to increase in knowledge if that's the purpose then this is not sufficient this is not enough in fact it is going to be very difficult it's going to be very burdensome and heavy on a person you see this is just like a person is hungry what does he need that time food but if you just show him some videos of how to prepare food will that satisfy his hunger if you want cookies and you go to joybaking.com like some websites okay you go to these websites and you click one recipe after another you watch one video after the other is that going to satisfy your hunger never never it's never going to satisfy your hunger so it is important that when we are learning we are also implementing the purpose of study is to implement the purpose of learning is to act this is who rabbani is this is who rabbani is the one who is an abid himself and he is also muallim and both things are necessary for success practice yourself and also teach others but the first step is what learn if you don't learn 
you cannot practice. If you don't learn, you cannot pass on. This is why, وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَدْرُسُونَ So you study the book, now you teach it. And when you teach it, train. Connect people to Arab. So it's kind of going backwards. تَدْرُسُونَ First step. تُعَلِّمُونَ Second step. And being رَبَّانِكِينَ The third step. So this was the mission of the Prophets of Allah. That they came to tell people to be worshippers, to be educators, to be trainers, because they had received the book, and now they were obligated to study it, to practice it, and pass it on. وَلَا يَأْمُرَكُمْ Nor would he order you. Meaning the messenger would not even instruct the people, أَن تَتَّخِذُوا الْمَلَائِكَةِ That you all take the angels, وَالنَّبِيِّينَ and the prophets, أَرْبَابًا As lords. أَرْبَاب plural of رَبْ Meaning, even this is impossible. That a messenger would tell the people to worship angels or to worship the prophets, human beings. No, it is impossible. A messenger would never make such a demand from people. Allah questions, أَيَأْمُرُكُمْ What the messenger command you with, بِالْكُفْرُ with disbelief, بَعْدَ إِذْ أَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ After you are Muslim. Meaning, after you have submitted to Allah, would the messenger command you to commit kufr? Because worshipping angels is disbelief. Worshipping human beings, even if they may be prophets of Allah, again, that is disbelief. So, why would a prophet tell people to commit disbelief after they had been Muslim? This doesn't make sense. It's illogical. He would never do such a thing. Now again, these verses were revealed in the context of the delegation of Najran and the Jews of Medina. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is refuting their beliefs over here. Because the Christians, who did they worship? Isa alayhi salam, Angel Jibreel, right? Likewise, the Yahud, especially those tribes, they used to worship Uzair alayhi salam, the Prophet of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is refuting their beliefs that this is not possible. A messenger would never give you such an instruction. And if the messenger did not give you instruction, then where did you get this instruction from? From your own desire. So you have to be false. You have to be wrong in this. Now what do we learn in these verses? There are many lessons. Let's listen to the recitation, and then we will reflect. وَإِنَّ مِنْهُمْ لَفَرِيقًا يَلْغُونَ أَلْسِنَتَهُمْ بِالْكِتَابِ لِتَحْسَبُوهُ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَمَا هُوَ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَيَقُولُونَ هُوَ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ وَمَا هُوَ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ وَيَقُولُونَ وَيَقُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبَ وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ مَا كَانَ لِبَشَرٍ أَن يُؤْتِيَهُ اللَّهُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحُكْمَ وَالنُّبُوَّةَ ثُمَّ يَقُولَ لِلنَّاسِ كُونُوا عِبَادًا لِي مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلَكِنْ وَلَكِنْ كُونُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تُعَلِّمُونَ الْكِتَابَ وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَدْرُسُونَ وَلَا يَأْمُرَكُمْ أَن تَتَّخِذُوا الْمَلَائِكَةَ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ أَرْبَابًا أَيَأْمُرُكُمْ بِالْكُفْرِ بَعْدَ إِذْ أَنْتُمْ 